What's up, Spell Singers? My name is Gary and John Wells. I'm Drew Flitton. And I'm Corey Janabagi. And this is Untap, Upkeep, Drink. Beer Up. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Brewers Week. This is day two. Today, we are talking about dark beers and Corey's Norn the Wearing Chaos deck that he transformed into a Krenko mob boss token aggro, just punching in the face, win the game as fast as possible. Sounds like a good day. Damn straight. Just like the last episode, we're going to do the first half, just talking about beers, heavy emphasis on beers. We've got some dark ones this week. And then the next half, we're going deep dive into a deck. And like Drew was saying, I'm busting out my Gabo deck. Fear of the many. <laughs> but first, since we're talking about dark beers, let's give an overview of what beers fall into the quote-unquote dark category. Um, so, just as before, we got this information from craftbeer.com. It's awesome. It really is. It's so cool just to learn all of that. Yeah. We spent so long just looking at paragraphs upon <laughs> paragraphs of information. It's <laughs> like, hey, did you know this, dude? This is so cool. This is why I like this beer. You can actually taste all these things. It's, it's, it's insane. The, it's the secondary part of this podcast, but we really do want everybody to be as excited about all the different types of beers as we are. Yeah, we've got this craft beer explosion going on, and we're so fortunate to be Prime a part of time. it. Yeah, and that's kind of what this whole week is about, because usually we're go- a little beer and then the emphasis on magic. This is emphasis on beer. With a little bit of magic. Full just week to... of just brews. <laughs> and to end the week, of course, like we said last time, we're going to be finishing it off with the homebrew. We got my brother in to help. Gary and Corey and I actually decided to help out this time around, make sure that we dive into what it is to be a brewer in the beer world. And I mean, I think we had a lot of fun. Yeah, get a get a behind the scenes look of what it actually takes to create these complex flavors. All right. So the beers we're covering today, we've got Ambers, which are divided into lagers and ales. We've got Scotch Ales, which also has the Scottish-style ales. We've got Belgian-style dark beers, which are the doubles and the quads. We've got Box, which also have, like, double box and things like that. We've got Porters and Imperial Porters, which is kind of an American thing. I haven't seen a lot of strictly, like, outside of American Imperial Porters. We've got Stouts, which have Milk Stouts, Oatmeal Stouts, Irish Stouts, and then just, like, the non-specific Stouts. And then you also have American Imperial Stouts, which is where we're going to start today's episode because the beers that Gary got for we us today, got a few of them. If he said, "If we're going dark <laughs> beers, we're gonna go all the way as hard as we can." What What was the description on yours? Color description looks like motor oil, <laughs> motor motor oil with a light brown head. Yeah, so we're we're drinking some dark ass beers. Um, who wants to go first? I feel like you got to go because you have the classic one here. All right, so I've got North Coast Brewing Company's Old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout. So when we're talking about Imperial Stouts, this is often the first one that people think of. It's the face of Russian Imperial Stouts. At least for us in the West. Yeah. (laughs) So reading from their website, they say, The Old Rasputin Russian Imperial Stout, produced in the tradition of 18th century English brewers who supplied the courts of Russia's Catherine the Great, Old Rasputin seems to develop a cult following wherever it goes. It's a rich, intense brew with big, complex flavors and a warming finish. So this is a Russian Imperial Stout, color black, as dark as they could, what? ABV 9%, and the bitterness is all the way up at 75 IBUs. Wow. So Corey and I have had this. This is probably the first Imperial Stout that we ever had. Yeah, I think so. And it was just like a wake-up call, because I, I got into Stouts pretty early in my beer drinking days, and it was just like, oh, this is this is different. <laughs> this is new. I liked it, but it was just like... 
This is not Guinness. No, it, it, it kicks you in the heavy. teeth. It's just like, hey, wake up. Very alcoholic up front. Obviously, very bitter. Um, but I think like a lot of stouts, you've got a lot of sweetness in there, a lot of malty forward flavors, but very roasted, very burned, toasted. Yeah, that toasted flavor comes through yeah. super heavy. You, you can just smell the alcohol yeah. off of it. That's like the first two flavors. It's kind of burned, charred malt and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it definitely has noticeable alcohol, both in the smell and the flavor. Um, you get that kind of roasted, toasted, smoky, kind of acrid flavor uh, that is really describing the bitterness of it. I mean, I still like it. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it still holds up. And Corey, you have... We went back to Sam Smith's because Samuel Smith is just a classic on the show for us right now. It's just such a good brand to go back to. Yeah, they know what's up. I'm drinking Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout. And this one has a ABV of 7%. And light for an Imperial. And the IBUs are only at 35. So... A lot more malty, a lot less bitter. Yeah. This one, just looking this beer up, it's won tons of awards, and it's on every website that had it on was super highly rated. We've got like and, a gold foil cap on. Yeah, top it's of just it, so that's good. Just that good looking, does yeah, yeah, good looking beer. Sammy Smith knows what's up. You can smell the alcohol right off the bat. That's a lot smoother than I thought it was going to be. It's not roasted or toasted like the old Rasputin. It's really smooth. Yeah, it's got really a lot of sweetness to it. Yeah, as compared it's to the incredibly sweet. sweet. Oh, it does have some some toasted notes like towards the back end of it. Um, has that kind of like bitterness that is on the side of your tongue. It almost had like the kind of tannin flavor of wine when I first yeah, got it in my it's mouth. Got a little kind of funk going on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really sweet, really good, really smooth. And I have the Drioma from Red Rock. Uh, it is, again, a Russian Imperial Stout. It's 10.1 ABV, and they Oof. do not list the IBUs. Ooh, this is also different. Uh, it has some of that sweetness to it, but the sweetness isn't, I guess, as smooth as what Corey's was uh, on the Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout. The bitterness lingers, though. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you get sweetness up front, and then it just mellows out into some bitterness. So I it's, And it, it's more of like a kind of like a coffee bitterness than it is like a chocolate bitterness yeah so the ibus is probably somewhere in between these both of these beers yeah i don't think it's as high i'm as always so surprised people, when we try three of the same type of beer and, and they're, they're just so different. way different yeah, yeah, this is not as different awesome. as what the scotch ales were back when we did those but it they are very different the, i think one thing that they all have is a very alcohol forward flavor yeah they're not trying to hide the alcohol on imperials they usually aren't trying to like cover it up by anything so they are telling you right on the label this is an imperial it's going to be strong i think surprisingly for yours drew i think yours is the highest alcohol but you can't that taste the flavor it. isn't as yeah. much yeah it's it's on the smell more than it is the actual taste. i think you can taste alcohol more in Garians. yeah yeah oh for sure for some reason the red rock has like a i mean without sounding hoity-toity like a leathery like almost chemical kind of aftertaste to it you know what i mean like you get that bitterness of the malt and then it's almost like a little bit i don't know it's good. I think that one would be the hardest one to drink for a newbie coming into. Oh yeah, absolutely. Imperial. Yeah. Like the old Rasputin kind of is like the characteristic of what an Imperial it's, is. It's like, like it's, the baseline. Yeah. Like you, you know you guys, what it is. You guys gave me the Coors Light of this episode. Is what I'm I, I wouldn't no, even I, say that. I wouldn't. No, absolutely <laughs> not. not. It's it's weird because I feel like the one that Corey has, the Samuel Smith Imperial Stout, is the entry into 
Imperial Stouts just because it does have lower ABV. It's sweeter. sweeter. It still has the notes yeah. that you're expecting out of Imperial Stout, but it's it's not going to kick you in the teeth. Whereas Garian's the smell and the alcohol is there, and mine just has that kind of extended duration of the bitterness. It has some sweetness to it, uh, and then it develops into that bitterness that lingers. Yeah, I think all three of these have a bitterness that lingers way longer than a normal stout would. Yeah, yeah they just sit. All right, so before we jump into the beer styles themselves, uh, first we're going to talk about what the things that we're going to be talking about actually mean. So we've got IBUs, which is the International Bitterness Units, and from what I've seen, it goes from basically zero to, or unlisted as it may be on some of them, uh, like ciders generally don't list IBUs, Yeah. to like 100 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I, I was reading stuff about it, and the human palate can't really taste anything past 100 IBUs, and so people don't really bother going past <laughs> this that. This beer I'm drinking right now is at 75, and it is goddamn bitter. <laughs> yeah. But so. IBUs don't necessarily tell you anything unless you understand the BUGU ratio, which is the bitterness unit to gravity units, which is the bitterness units compared to the sugar in the beer. And so if that ratio is above 0.5, because 0.5 is like your even beer, it's even on both sides. Uh, if it's above 0.5, then your bitterness units are going to be more present than what your sugar units are. And so a low BUGU is going to be more sugary and sweet, and a higher BUGU is going to be your bitter and This tends to explain why a lot of these darker beers can be extremely bitter and not taste quite as bitter as, say, a double IPA or something, because those double IPAs don't have as much sugar yeah, they don't have that to balance that out. Yeah. yeah, if you go to craftbeer.com, you'll see these numbers and then like 20 more numbers yeah, that we decided have not to include. Loads of stats. But these are the ones so we thought, many Yeah, things. we thought these are the ones that are going to actually help, help you know what's going on. And the last one we have is the standard reference method which tells us the color of it. And again, just to give you guys an explanation as to what the colors actually mean, we've got very light, which is 1 to 1.5, straw, which is 2 to 3, pale is 4, gold is 5 to 6, ambers go from 7, 8 to 9, that's from light amber to medium amber, then we've got copper and garnet is your 10 to 12 range, and this is really where we start to categorize what we're calling dark beers. Dark beers aren't always dark, like this is just the coloration that we're talking yeah. about. Um, and we have light brown is 13 to 15, Brown to reddish brown to chestnut brown is 16 to 17. This is kind of a big range in there. We've got dark brown, 18 to 24. Very dark, which is a very dark brown, is 25 to 39. And then we've got black, which is the last 10 units because it goes from 0 to 50. And black is the last 10. It's 40 plus. And so just like we talked about on the last episode, we decided to cut it at Amber's and go everything past Amber's is a dark beer and everything before Amber's is a light beer. Yeah, and so Amber's—that's only seven on the scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Amber's start at like six and go up from there, really. So Amber's are the first one we're going to talk about. We've got lagers and ale versions of it. Um, the lagers have your IBUs between eighteen to thirty. Your BUGU is between 0.43 to 0.54, which is why one, they're one of the more palatable beers. They're one of the more common beers you see because they're just in that like sweet spot range of pretty neutral. Anyone can enjoy them. Anyone can yeah. find them. Um, they're not offensive. They're just, I mean, relatively speaking, they're relatively easy to brew as well. Um, and then your SRMs, your color is going from six to fourteen, so which that's is from like about a gold to a light brown. And like, there's a lot of range. Obviously, people can make beer however they want, and so it's kind of hard to categorize a lot of these. Yeah, I do find it funny though that ambers go from gold to brown. Yeah, <laughs> and the middle of that is the ambers. So the lager is a very sessionable craft beer. Um, it kind of showcases both the malt and the the hops, so you have that sugar and that bitterness. Yeah, and that's you can 
tell that because we're the B-U-G-U, because it's just right in that middle, like Drew was saying. Yeah, that ratio is key. It, it has both instead of one overpowering the other. Yeah. So amber loggers have, uh, they're just a nice, well-bodied logger, and they've got a uh, kind of sweet, toasty kind of character to them. Um, but they can also have some strong hops to them. But again, that's going to be balanced out by your malts. So I think one lager that just everybody knows that isn't amber is the Sam Adams Boston Lager. Like you look at the color of that and you know exactly where it's at. Yeah. We tried to find examples, not of the greatest thing that everybody has ever had, but just stuff that we know or that we've done on the show. That's that like people would things, recognize. Yeah, that's one of the things that we've tried and to stick to is things that we've done. Just the Sam Adams. If is you've just, ever watched TV, you've heard of Sam yeah, Adams. Yeah, that's Boston just one Lager. of the most popular loggers yeah. in the world. It's what put them on the map. Yeah. Personally, I'm not a big fan of it, but it's I. So next we have the Amber Ales, and they're a little on the darker side, and they've got more toasted flavors. They have a lot more maltiness than other beers. Yeah, if we're looking at just like ales in general, then that's kind of what Corey's talking about. Yeah, there there is some sweetness usually, but not as much as like a lager. Yeah, if we're looking at American Amber specifically, the reason why they're American Ambers is because generally the malts or the hops that they're using are grown in America, and they're, that's kind of what characterizes the beer is the American varieties of the ingredients that they're using. Yeah, and just like with IPAs, a lot of people, when they think of American hops, there's those like citrusy, fruity, piney flavors, and those lend to the amber ale a lot. One of the best examples for an amber ale is the Anderson Valley Brewing Company, the Boont Amber. I, I love this beer. Yeah. Like, we, the first time I had it was awesome. The second time I had it, I think I put it on Drew's Brews. Yeah, we love Anderson Valley. Yeah. They have a lot of good stuff. Yeah, and th- they, this one's up there. So... Moving on from ambers, we've got Scotch ales as well as Scottish style ales. These tend to be the bitterness is a little higher between 9 and 25 with the BUGU scale being a little lower, 0.30. So that means there's a little more sugary sweetness in there. So that can range between 0.3 to 0.5-ish. And then our SRM value between 6 and 15. Yeah, so this, again, you have some in the, the like dark gold kind of all the way up to the brownish. Yeah, and I think on Craft Beer's website, one of the things that stood out between the differences of Scotch Ales and Scottish Style Ales is the alcohol prevalence. On the Scotch Ales, it has the alcohol is noticeable to hot. Yeah, they're also called wee heavies, which I think is am- yeah. amusing. But the, the alcohol is something that you're going to notice. The smell is going to be there. The taste is going to be there on most of them. Which I think, I think that's what, if you've ever had a Scotch ale and it wasn't burning or you couldn't taste the alcohol, I think it might've been a Scottish style ale. And I think a lot of the Scotch ales that we've had were Scottish style ales instead of actual Scotch ales. Yeah. And actual Scotch ales, uh, not just the prevalence of the alcohol, but the actual alcohol content on them is going to be higher. Yeah. And that's mostly because they are so sweet. And so they have a lot more sugars in those beers to so convert to alcohol. Feeds, yeah, yeah, yeast feeds on in. Yeah, they have a much Which higher makes gravity. Delicious, delicious beers. Yeah, honestly, Scotch ales have quickly become one of my favorite styles. I of was going to say we did a whole episode with Scotch style ales and Scotch ales, and me and Drew were just talking about it a few days ago that we were really impressed. Like, <laughs> well, I, I keep going back. Yeah, to Scotch I never ales. really thought They're to so like good. go grab one, but now that I know what's there, it's like I, I want to try them all. Yeah, <laughs> see which it's either going to be this is. week or next week. We're going to have Andrew's Brews, a Scotch Ale. Uh, There's a local one, I think it's from Montana, that I picked up specifically for it because I keep on finding Scotch Ales. And 
literally if I find it at Marcellus or just at a store, I pick up and I They're said, all I'm gonna so try it. good. Yeah, yeah. It turns out. So Scotch ales are very sweet because they have a lot of sugary malts involved in the brewing process. So that's going to delineate them from some of these other dark beers. They're very sweet, which lends to a higher alcohol in their brews. Yeah, they usually have a lot of caramel flavors that comes out. And if you look back at the BUGU, it's 0.3 to 0.5. So it never goes past on the bitterness scale. It's always on the lower sweetness scale. And so we had the Founders Dirty Bastard on the show, which is absolutely fantastic. And we also had the... Claymore from Great Divide, which was actually our beer of the show. It was super good. It was awesome. Yeah, it had a really sweet can as well. I think it was like plaid. <laughs> like a kilt. It was a kilt, yeah. <laughs> yeah not a, whatever that style of print is. And then we've also got the Scottish style ales, which a lot of the beers that we have probably are closer to. Yeah, so these are similar to a Scotch ale, but they kind of retain a malt-forward character. Um, in general, like we said, they're going to have a lower alcohol content and they're kind of trying to mimic a scotch ale without being able to like go that full way. I don't mean this in a bad way, but if a scotch ale is a regular beer, Scottish style ales are more of a Utah version right. of scotch ales. They're just they're not a as lot punchy, smoother yeah. and yeah. lower alcohol. They try to kind of retain that characteristic without being crazy high alcohol yeah yeah I mean, if you look at scotch ales they're like 6.6 to 8 point something whereas scottish style ales are more like 4.4 to like 6 point something yeah they're more sessionable and I, i'm not trying to say that they're watered down or anything they're just a lot less intense yeah and so the example we have here is just our local hero it's idaho brewing company's scotch ale which is more of a scottish style ale it's the best beer that ibc makes it really is but it's just <laughs> such a, a good beer like it's not like they don't have other good beers they've got the raspberry wheat that uh, i had recently and that one was very very good but this is just Sounds like delicious. the award winner from like they literally yeah. take it to the competitions in idaho and just clean house with yeah it. this is this is the one that put them on the map so if you're ever in idaho falls go to ibc and get a growler because it's worth it yeah it's they're, it's delicious so to wrap up these scotch and scotch style ales it's good to know hops are not going to play a huge role in these styles so you're not going to have a lot of hop forward flavor the bitterness is going to come from a lot of that alcohol and the roasted malts um before we move on i want to real i want to read the description from craftbeer.com they they say it retains a malt forward character with some degree of caramel like malt flavors and a soft and chewy mouthfeel which is an interesting way to describe uh, it here. <laughs> but they're talking, what they're talking about yeah right um but basically scotch ales are kind of they're leaning into that dark realm they're not super dark but they are sweet and some can be quite alcoholic so they're quite delicious i'm a, I'm a big fan yeah huge oh. fan we're talking about alcoholic beers the next couple can really punch you in the face we've got belgian style dark beers so like we talked about on the last episode belgian style beers are all over the place yeah um the ones that we're looking at so the belgian quad the quadruple is got the ibu range between 25 and 50 so it's a bit on the hoppier side uh but your bu to gu ratio is 0.3 to 0.42 so really the actual flavor is going to be sweeter and for as far as the color the srm index is between 8 and 20. So you see that dark brown color start to come through. As for the Belgian style doubles, IBUs 20 to 35, so not quite as hoppy. But again, your BU to GU ratio is around 0.3 to 0.4. And then your SRM is actually going to be darker uh, between 16 to 36, from light brown to dark brown, almost black. Oh, snap. Yeah. So doubles have that 
darker, dark brown characteristic that you're going to see, whereas quads are a little lighter. We already mentioned triples in the last episode, which are oddly, even though it should be between these two, it's not. So again, with these beers, the hot bitterness is going to be medium low to medium, so not super forward, but probably a little more than what you would get in most scotch ales. Um, and it's interesting, it, it, it says that yeast generated fruity esters, especially banana, can be apparent. So these ones are going to be a little more fruity, a little more floral, not necessarily citrusy, but they are going to be sweeter beers. Yeah, and I think the doubles that we've had on when we say that there's like some funk going yeah. on, it's this kind of fruity esper that they're talking about. That weird banana, it's like fruity, the weird, yeast's like kind of giving off. It's their like own... spoiled wine kind of taste, but it's delicious <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah, doubles again. They're going to be like that brown, very dark. Uh, they've got a sweetness that's more on the malty side. Could be kind of more like cocoa or like a, a sweeter coffee. Uh, but again, as Gary was saying, like the hot bitterness isn't really there, so it's it's just a solid solid beer. So for our example with the doubles, we have the Abbey Double by Elm City Brewing Company. Um, and for our quad, we've got the Sixth Glass by Boulevard Brewing Company. Yeah, and so we kind of already got into this, but quads are kind of weird when it comes to doubles and triples, especially because they're lighter than the doubles, but not as light as the triples. And they're, they've got a lot of the sweetness like a double, but they also have hoppiness like a triple. They're sort of in the middle, and yet they're number four. Which, I, yeah, I don't understand it's really how, weird. how they got named. Um, but it's often referred to as the Belgian strong dark, um, and that's often because of the alcohol content that's associated with them. Yeah, these ones are usually on the high end. And so the example we chose here, like Aaron said, was the Boulevard Brewing uh, Company's The Sixth Glass, which is even more confusing that it's The Sixth Glass, even though it's a quad. Yeah, quads and doubles and triples. They're so different. That it's just weird how they're named what they are. Goofy fucking Belgians. Yeah, I think just here. just Belgian style beers. I think we've talked about them before. How just they they're just so unique because there's like we've said they're just weird and they have a lot going on with their flavor profiles. Yeah, we could literally do a Brewers Week all about just Belgian style beers and the few that we've talked about on the show both today and yesterday. Okay, but enough about Belgium. We're going to German. You're gonna hit the box. I do like. The German style Bach. It's kind of like a classic beer. Uh, IBUs are looking at 20 to 30, so it's not too high. Uh, your BU to GU ratio is 0.3 to again about 0.4, uh, but your SRM is 20 to 30, so it's going to be a darker beer. We're looking at some of the like darker brown beers. Yeah, so we're sort of out of this range now where it's golden amber colors. It's just brown to black. <laughs> Yeah, black is, starts at 40, so you see where <laughs> yeah, we're at. Like the, yeah. the range, how it we're just We're not goes, even at yeah, black. Yeah, it accelerates very quickly. So um, traditionally, box are malt-only brews, so no hops at all. Sounds like my kind of beer. Yeah, they're, that's what, you can tell that from the BUGU ratio. It's yeah. 0.3 to 0.4. And so they're high in sweetness, and they usually have like toasted flavors or like a nut flavor in them. Yeah, yeah kind of like earthy, nutty. Yeah, it's... I don't think I've had a lot of box, but all the ones that I've had, it's just like hits you in the face with how strong and malty they are. Yeah, and not to like bag on American breweries at all, but so all of the American box that I've had just cannot compare at all to the imported box that I've had. So I just think this is funny. And Corey and I know a, a bit of German. So when we were looking up Bach, it literally translates as goat in German. And so it, it makes sense because a lot of imports have a goat on their label. And so our example is the Anger Celebrator 
Doppelbach. What I love about this beer is that when you get it in the bottle, it has like a little keychain thing attached to it that's a goat. Yeah, it has a little <laughs> goat figurine tied with a ribbon around the bottle. And a lot of times if you uh, get this on draft, they have certain glasses with the little goat figurine tied around the bottom of the they glass. They literally have a special box it's glass. super cool. All right, so now we're starting to get into my favorite. Gary, you're starting to, to come into my set. Come to the dark I, side. I've definitely, over the last year, started to enjoy dark, dark beers so much more. Uh, and to step daintily into this wild side, we're going to move on to Porter's. And I don't know if you can call it dainty, but we've got English-style brown Porter's. Our list here for kind of statistics. The IBUs range between 20 to 30 with the BUGU units being 0.5 to 0.6. So the porters are a little more bitter than yeah, what they we've have been slightly talking. bitter, but they're still fairly balanced. Right. And their color is 30 <laughs> to 35. So not quite black. Yeah, they got but the dark, dark is brown. Black. Yeah. And so the reason why we chose the English style to talk about is because it's kind of the classic characterization of what a porter is. There's also the robust porter, but I feel like most of the porters that people have is actually more of that English style than it is the robust porter. Uh, so the English style porters, uh, they don't have the roasted barley or that like kind of acrid burnt flavor that you get from the malts. Um, it's got this lower to medium uh, sweetness that you get from the malts. The sweetness is kind of characterized as like chocolatey. Like that, I mean, we always say chocolatey when we talk about porters. Um, the it's got a little bit of bitterness from the hops. It's not not too much. It's it's again like it is a little bit more bitter than it is sweet, um, but it's like. The, the baby step before you jump into stouts. Yeah, and I think categorizing them as chocolate is like a v- very important thing because chocolate is really sweet, but it's also really bitter. And so I think that's a good yeah place to put porters because they're sweet, but they're also on the bitter scale. And so we couldn't talk about porters without talking about Deschutes Black Butte Porter. It's, it's not my favorite beer of all time, but it's the beer that if you have it on tap, I'm not going to not order it. Um, Let's keep things moving along here. We've got the American Imperial Porter. This is kind of the, the subcategory we're going to talk about. Basically, these are similar to an English-style brown porter, but the IBUs are between 35 and 50, so they're going to have a little more bitterness to them. But notably, the BUGU scale is 0.4 to 0.5, so that bitterness is more balanced towards by the sweet end. Sweet, yeah. So they're the while well, the IBUs, again, this is why I think that the BU to GU scale is so important on beers. So important. It's because IBUs, it tells you that there is a lot of bitterness to it, but it's balanced out by the malty characteristics of it that gives it that sweetness. The yeah. alcohol content is going to be higher, but also I like that the SRM on this one, if, if it's dark, it's too dark, SRM is 40 plus. It's black. Like that's, <laughs> you it's can black. see through it, we didn't do it right. <laughs> so just like the English style brown porter, they don't have a lot of that burnt or roasted barley or malt flavor and like gary and drew were saying they're a lot more on the sweeter side so this can include flavors like caramel and cocoa but they still have because they are a balanced a fairly balanced uh beer they still have that hop characteristic that adds that bitterness to it yeah and that's why i think the denoting that it's an american imperial porter lets people know that there's hoppiness in the beer because Americans love their hops. Yeah, especially if you're in the Northwest. Um, so the example we have here is the North Star Imperial Porter from Twisted Pine Brewing Company. Now we get to move on into the, the big boy land of stouts. It's my my favorites. So I think when anybody says dark beer... They think of stouts. They always think of stouts. Yeah, they, yeah. 
and then porters. But we're diving into stouts. So the classic American stout, it has a higher IBU rating. It's got 35 to 60. Uh, we got the BU to GU ratio of 0.7 to 0.8. And again, SRM, 40 plus. It's black. It's dark. Um, and so the things that we kind of characterize stouts is that they've got a lot of these dark roasted malts uh, with these American hops. You know, an American stout's going to have American hops. Surprise. Um, that gives this kind of unique experience that you have compared to all other beers, even the closest beer to it, which is the Porter's. Yeah, and like we were just saying earlier, the American, if there's an American style of beer, it's probably going to be hoppier, and this includes stouts. Yeah. And so even though it has all of those roasted, earthy flavors, it's going to have that bitterness to it, which just adds another layer of depth to it. So again, like we were saying with all of these other varieties of beers we've got stouts that have their own categories we've got milk stouts which is probably my favorite we've got oatmeal stouts irish stouts breakfast stouts like the list goes on i'm sure that there's varieties that we don't even know about because varieties are so localized um and the example we have which we've had on the show is the milk stout from left hand brewing company it is america's stout at least that's the claim but it's it's in my top five for a reason it's just so good so smooth so creamy especially when it's on nitro which is just so good of course, this episode wouldn't be complete without talking about the Imperial Stout. So, They're last on this list for a reason. Yeah, they <laughs> are. choking these motherfuckers down. I mean, you say that. I'm sipping mine. I'm happy. I know. They are good. So IBUs, again, they're bitter. Uh, 50 50. to 80. Uh, the BU to GU, we've got 0.6 to 0.8. And SRM, again, it's dark. It's black. black it's 40 plus. So these Imperial Style, these American Imperial Stouts are going to be the darkest and the highest alcohol content stout. Yeah, these are generally going to be the strongest alcohol content beers that you can get. Yeah, they're the the end of the spectrum, basically. If you take it all the way back to the beginning of the, this episode, when we were trying all these beers, because spoilers, we all have Imperial Stouts right here. Whoa. We all categorize them as super dark. You can't yep. see through them at all. And they're super, super malty and sweet. But lo- still have that bitterness that yeah. just carries through. A lot of them had that residing bitterness, and a lot of them had that roasted, earthy flavor that comes through. Yeah, so there's, again, that bitterness comes from the roasted malts as well as the hops, and so it just has that two-fold, one-two punch that just carries through. And you taste that, I feel like, in different parts of the beer. I feel like the hops kind of comes off in a little bit of the smell, and then like that lingering taste, I feel, is more of a hop. At least on my beer, which is the Drioma from Red Rock. And the, the hops, it's weird because it kind of like fades from the cocoa kind of coffee roasted malty bitterness into a hoppy bitterness which personally i kind of dig which usually i don't like hoppy bitterness but on this because it changes between that kind of roasted malty bitterness into that hoppy it it's really pleasant i don't think it's the best beer today but i still think it's a damn good beer oh yeah red rock never disappoints and then of course we've got old rasputin from the north coast brewing company good old rasputin it's it's a classic. I think that's the word I, I've been looking for this episode is that it's a classic. We use it as our example for a reason. Yep. It's just when you think of an imp- American Imperial Stout, Rasputin just has everything. So I think we've had North Coast Brewing on the show before. I think that we had it when we were talking about sours when we were with Michael, even though technically the beer we had wasn't a sour, <laughs> but... I liked it. Tart cherry yeah, beer. I, I got it for Gary because it was like, it's it just screamed his name. 
And last, but certainly not least, we've got Samuel Smith's, a classic here, one that we're always going to go back to if we can, and just their classic Imperial Stout. It's weird, but this tastes like it's a nitro, just because of how smooth it is. It is smooth, yeah. So it's weird going from the Drioma to the Old Rasputin to the Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout. It has this like sweetness to it that really it's is just fruity. A, yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's it, that's a way I'd describe it. It's yeah, it's just so easy to drink. It's not. It doesn't have as many powerful flavors as your guys' beers d- do. I think what I said at the top of the show is correct. Is that if you're gonna look into Imperial Stouts, that's a good starting point. Yeah, like if that's your diving board, and then you jump into one of the other ones. That one's my favorite because I do like the sweeter beers, and the Samuel Smith is. The sweetest one here. For yeah, sure. if we were to say right now, definitively, I think that's beer of the show. I agree. <sighs> yeah. Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout, beer of the show. As much as I love stouts and I'm coming towards this dark side, Imperial Stout dark is, side. is over the edge on the other side where you start to go, oh shit, have I gone too far? <laughs> All right, we've talked so much about beers, which is great. It's Brewers Week, it's Beer Week, whatever we're going to call it here. Whoop, whoop. But beer is good. I charged Corey with. We do want to talk a little magic. Yeah, I charged Corey with making what? this episode what it is. Uh, to be frank, I don't know where this episode's going to go. Corey's going to take us on a, an adventure here. Of all the episodes that could end up a bit chaotically, this is the episode to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about Corey's deck deck here. Uh, we're talking about going from Norn the Wary, this chaos deck that you had, to Cranko Mob Boss, this aggro, honestly, like. Almost competitive for our asshole? group. I heard asshole. I, I didn't say that. No. Uh, <laughs> it's this, both. Yeah. For our group, it's like one of the, the top ones. It's, it's what we play if we want like our competitive. Like, hey, we're going to try and win on turn four. Cranko has kind of forced a change in our play group, which is if this deck comes out, you need to be able to respond to it. Yep. And I think that that has upgraded our deck building, our play group game as a whole, play. our gameplay. Yeah. And so I think that having you change this deck has helped... And I mean, this honestly is that has helped our playgroup because before, well, okay, I'll let you explain what this deck was before. That was the thing. Like when I first made it, there was a good point where I had to stop playing it because it was just arch enemy and I would still win. And so I was just like, okay, I got to set this aside for a while and let everybody make basically win on accident or just get some strategy. It was hated for the wrong reasons, whereas Cranko, I think, is disliked for the right reasons. And I loved it. So, okay. (laughs) So, where did we start with this guy? Okay, so, way, way back in the day, when we first started playing Magic, I came upon this really, really dumb card. No purpose whatsoever. Now, the the different dumb card. Our friend Michael, who you may know, told me about this card. It's called Confusion in the Ranks. The worst card that I have ever come across. <laughs> it's just, it's three red red for an enchantment. Whenever an artifact, creature, or enchantment comes into play, its controller chooses target permanent another player controls that shares a type with it. Exchange control of those permanents. So, confusion in the ranks basically means if you play anything, you have to switch it with something. Let me make a, a really, really bad modern deck built around... The dash mechanic, where you would play something, it would come into play, and then at the end of your turn, it would just bounce back to your hand. So if I had Confusion out, I could play something, switch it with something cool, and then put it into my hand so I could play it next turn. And then you'd get to keep whatever was out. Yeah, and then I would keep it until, unless somebody else played something and stole it back from me. So how did and, you abuse this mechanic? And so it was just super chaotic all the time, which is what I wanted, even though I 
rarely everyone. It was just annoying. Everyone hated it. But this <laughs> led me to find one of my favorite cards of all time, Norin the Wary. A cute little guy. He's a legendary creature, human warrior, for one red mana. He's a 2-1. His text says, when a player plays a spell or a creature attacks, remove Norn the Wary from the game. Return it to play under its owner's control at the end of turn. So he was basically completely useless. He, 100%. 90% of the game, he didn't fucking exist. He can't attack. He can't block. He can't do anything. The only way to remove him is with activated abilities or weird triggers where you have to stifle his ability. It's just way too many hoops you got to j- jump through to get rid of a 2-1 for one mana. Yeah, we came up with a way to actually get rid of Norn, but it involved my enchantment deck and specific cards that I had to sequence in yeah. the right order in order to get rid of him. Yeah, because basically, whenever you put something on the stack, his ability goes on the stack above it. And so he always gets exiled above it. Yeah, which is why activated abilities were basically the only way to do it. Yeah. And so what this meant was that whenever somebody played anything or attacked with anything, it was usually a me, he would get exiled, and then at the end of their turn, he would come in, and then I could steal something with confusion in the ranks. And so that was just this really bad modern deck that we used to have. And I, when we started getting into EDH, I decided to upgrade it into an EDH deck. And, of course, I kept confusion in the ranks in there, but I decided to actually try and win with it. <laughs> Instead of just being annoying. <laughs> Instead of just being awful, I put in some win cons that would abuse his ETBs and other ETBs while also causing some chaos. Yeah, one of the chaos cards you had in here was Warp World, which is five red, red, red. I mean, mono red deck, it's fine. Uh, each player shuffles all permanents he or she owns into his or her library, then reveals that many cards from the top of his or her library. Each player puts all artifact, creature, and land cards revealed this way onto the battlefield, then does the same way for enchantment cards. And the reason why that is is because of auras and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and then puts all cards revealed this way that weren't put onto the battlefield on the bottom of his or her library. So this is just like, it wasn't a board wipe per se, but it was <laughs> just like, hey, so we're going to crank this to 11 and... Good luck. Yeah, it's just basically you shuffle everything you have and hopefully you get something back. Sometimes you get zero lands back and then you're out of the game. The and artwork it, is so <laughs> rad. It's so weird. I think a lot of people hated this deck because of these cards. Another good one is Scrambleverse. It's six red red for a sorcery. For each non-land permanent, choose a player at random. Then each player gains control of each permanent for which he or she was chosen. Untap those permanents. So this is just a lot of dice rolling, trying to figure out everything, dole everything out, and then eventually you get to play the game of magic, but <laughs> you don't have anything that you used Who to have. Who knows what cards you have, yeah. And just this, in in addition to Confusion Langston, everybody was always switching things around. Nobody could really plan for what their deck was going to do because they didn't know what they were going to have their permanence that they yeah, needed. <laughs> basically, it meant that the only player who could actually play his deck was Corey because yeah, he planned around it. A lot of the time, I got messed up as much as anybody else. <laughs> so like you I also would, kind I of would get all my good stuff just thrown away. Yeah. So you also had uh, <laughs> another sub theme of combat cards. Yeah. And so the goal here was to make everybody attack all the time. And so I played things like Grenzo Havoc Razor, which allows me to goad things. But then I also played cards like Grand Melee, which is three and a red for an enchantment, which says 
all creatures attack each turn of Fable, and all creatures block each turn of Fable. People love that. Yeah, which, it basically cards. means that everybody's creatures died every turn. <laughs> you couldn't play anything. The third sub-theme I had for the deck was, it goes back to the modern deck with ETBs. And luckily, I had a really good card for this, which is called Perforos, God of the Forge. One of my buddies. So he's an all-star. He's three and a red for a 6-5 legendary enchantment creature god. He's indestructible. As long as your devotion to red is less than five, he's not a creature. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Perfro steals two damage to each opponent. Then you can pay yep. two in a red. Creatures you control get plus one, plus zero into end of turn. And like we were saying, Norrin tends to like to just enter the battlefield yeah. all the fucking time. Every, every turn. turn. Literally yeah. every turn. Literally At every the end turn. step, he's going to come out. Because your opponents aren't going to not play spells. Yeah, or I have things that make them attack, and he gets exiled yeah, and they're attack. Attacks. So he's yeah. always coming in. So... Once around the board, I could usually do eight damage. So everyone puts it puts everybody on a clock. Yeah, my favorite addition to the deck uh, was when uh, Ether Revolt came out. I think it was Ether Revolt, not Kaladesh. Uh, when Kari's have yeah. Skyship Raider, <laughs> so she's one in red for a human pirate. I think she was the first creature that actually had the pirate subtype before they errated all the other ones. Yeah, um, and so she's got first strike and menace, which is, is dope, especially since she's a one three. Uh, and whenever she attacks, create a legendary 2-1 red monkey creature token named Ragavan. And you have to look at the art for Ragavan because <laughs> yeah. he's got like these little uh, goggles that he's got. Um, and so when Ragavan enters the battlefield, he's tapped and attacking. And then you exile that token at end of combat. So basically, he's another version of Norn that's entering the battlefield, then leaving. Yeah, he's just... I don't really care that the monkey will die because he can just come back every turn because Karizev is just really hard to get rid of. Yeah, and so it was just frustrating, but the card is sweet and the art is sick. Yeah, and so I just I played a, a lot of cards that I kept some of the old dash cards or things that bounced back to my hand and they were really bad, but I played them anyways just to try and get more ETBs. But one card that I threw in the deck that was really, <laughs> really good <laughs> at ETBs was Cranko Mob Boss. It's two red red for a 3-3 three, three legendary creature Goblin Warrior with simple ability of tap, create X-1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens where X is the number of goblins you control. So you might remember that I said that this is the new commander for your I was going to say, if only we had all seen this coming. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. So he's an all-star. He's pretty self-sufficient because at the very least, if you have no other goblin besides him, he'll tap and make one goblin in the next turn or the next time you tap him, he makes two more and then it just gets out of hand and then one of the other all-stars one of my favorite cards of all time that this is one of is, the most messed up cards it's literally so one of the most messed, messed up, up cards in magic's history i love it you're the only player that i know who plays it for real <laughs> yep i think we had a running joke about this card and then i just Forever. started playing it all the time <laughs> it is jockalops or Yokelops. I don't really know how to Yokelops, say it. yeah. But it's four red red for sorcery. Destroy all artifacts, creatures, and lands. They can't be regenerated. This card honks. So this is up there with Annihilate or Pact of Annihilation and Obliterate and World Fire. Anything that just fucks up your lands permanently. It just destroys everything. But notably... Red still can't blow up enchantments. I did notice that. But Creatures, artifacts, usually lands. getting rid of people's lands is good enough. It's kind of weird <laughs> to me that it should be. You and I have been playing together for the longest of all, like our our group, 
and I'm the enchantment player, and you're the one player who doesn't play enchantment room because yeah. like you're the red player. Like you're the one person who can play the most enchantment room. I'll try, but I can't. And so the ideal version of playing Jockalops is you have Perforos and Norin out, and oh Norin gets exiled, and Perforos is indestructible, and so he stays on the battlefield, and then Norin just keeps coming back every turn. And now you've restarted the fucking game with for your everybody two else best cards yeah, on exactly, board. Exactly, yeah. And I think that. We've talked about time and time again. I'm sure we'll talk about time and time in the future. But Norn is a one drop. Yeah. He's your commander, <laughs> yeah. it's a one drop. Like having a low CMC commander is so powerful. And I think Norn demonstrates that fact more than most other commanders that we talk about. Like I think three is kind of the sweet spot that most yeah, of us three, would agree. Yeah. But having Norn as a one drop means that you to basically literally always have get access your to your deck and your party going. It gets it online one. on turn one. Yeah, the only problem gone. is Norn sucks and he doesn't do anything. Yeah, he can't block <laughs> by anything, himself. But yeah. like the fact that you've built this deck around him, which surprise, EDH, you often build around <laughs> your commander. Yep. You have this one card that you're allowed to play it most times. Yeah. No one ever gets rid of Norn. No one wants to waste a card. It's so hard to do it <laughs> that it's not worth it. And it's not worth yeah. building around. Yeah. Fuck that. No. It's no. one creature that sometimes pops up. Exactly. All right, so, so that was the chaos, yeah, and the, instead you decide to refine it down. You found this stupid fucking little goblin, <laughs> right? Yeah, so before I get into that, there's this weird anecdote that I love to tell, but Cody and I, I used to buy that, yeah. the dual decks all the time and just 1v1 each other and just upgrade them and see how good we can get them, and we bought one, and it was, I can't remember what the other deck was, but mine, the one I got was the mono red deck, and it had... Cranko and a bunch of other goblins in it. Only I got a defective deck, and it was just like ten or twelve copies of each of the rares. What in the? the fuck? So I had twelve copies of Cranko, and so then Cody's like, "Can I make a deck with them?" I was like, "Sure," and I gave him four copies, and I didn't want to make a goblin deck. So Did, I, wait, didn't you sell that those cards? No, I still have all. Oh, of do you? Them. Oh, I yeah. thought you sold that deck. There was like four, twelve copies of Ogre Battle Driver and nice. Fury of the Horde. Like the best card was Cranko, yeah. but it was just. So weird, dude. That's fucking nuts. It was so yeah, weird. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it sucked at the time because, like, well, yeah, I we wanted the deck. Yeah, the deck. <laughs> yeah, the deck literally it, was it didn't even have lands. <laughs> but yeah. what's funny is that, like, Corey told me about this, and I was just like, dual decks are broken. Like, I can just go get dual decks. And so I started buying dual decks. Yeah, he, and, he bought all the. He got yeah. Elspeth and Kiora. Yeah, I, I introduced my mom to Magic by playing dual decks. I think she's played a total of twice, <laughs> but she's beaten me both times. <laughs> but so back, you got 19 but, copies of Cranko. I hit 12. So many copies of Cranko. <laughs> and so I was just like, oh, yeah, I've lost him a lot. He's good in the deck. Boom. And so I kept playing the deck, and it was bad every time. <laughs> like, every once in a while, I could do something awesome. You're talking about Norin? You're talking about yeah, just it, OG Norin. Yeah, okay. Chaos. The thing is, is that when you won with Norin, it was an overwhelming. It was victory. nobody like, could do anything. Literally, no one could. Yeah, you, you just get absolutely demolished. And like, yeah. even on my best decks, I just got stomped. And yeah. when it did nor- normal Norin stuff, it was just like, Okay, can we please just play the fucking game? And then when it did bad Norn stuff, it was like, are you going to play doing, the game? Corey? Yeah, it's God like, damn. people would just save their counter spells and removal yeah. just to blow up confusion in the ranks. Yeah. And so I would just waste my turn playing that, and then they'd be like, okay, nope, we're I, getting yeah. rid of this before it even <laughs> happens. And then we just go on playing the regular game. And so to counteract all that, you said, I'm going to make a, con- a consistent deck with a card I know is good. Yeah, because usually when I did work, it was with Perforos out. And so I was like, I want to make a Perforos deck. And then I started looking at Perforos like, deck lists and then it's like, 
No. I want to make a Cranko deck. And Perforos is going to be in the 99. Although a Perforos deck will be a ton of fun. Yeah, but I, I just think Cranko, just having him always. And specifically, yeah. we're talking about Cranko Mob Boss. So again, he's two red red, and you tap him, and you double the number of goblins that you have. Yeah, and so obviously, he is very goblin only. Like, that's all he cares about. That's all he ever does. Which means you got to make a lot of cuts. Yeah, and so I basically took that old deck, took a couple of the red cards, kept the lands, and trashed everything else. You went for harder, better, faster, stronger. <laughs> Including Norrin, yep. <laughs> Wait, you didn't include Norrin? Isn't he a goblin? No, he's a human he's a warrior. Human. What? Yeah, oh, I was if he was a goblin, was a I would, goblin oh, he, he, would sure. be the, he would still be the commander. <laughs> no, <laughs> don't lie. But so I just kept a lot of the red staples like Faithless Looting, Chaos War, Vandal Blast, and then I got rid of stuff like Warp Worlds. And there's this one card, I don't know if I put it on here, it switches people's life totals, like weird yeah, stuff like I that. Just that like all the just more totally stuff. random chaos stuff. Yeah, and I took out, took all out the, the coin flip stuff too. Yeah, all the coin flip, all the things that make people attack like i didn't want that i wanted goblins yeah you wanted aggressive you wanted fast yeah and so this was i think norin the edh deck was the first edh deck i built from scratch yeah. i didn't use a list i was just like hey i got these I cards th- think if i'm not wrong that's the first edh deck that any of our playgroup built from scratch i think so yeah because i had the marin pre-con that i upgraded and all of us got Had pre-cons pre-con that, we, that upgraded. we upgraded and then i wanted to build that and so i just remember going to the card shop and combing through the bulk rares trying to find weird chaos cards and they were spoiler all bad <laughs> but they were there yeah they were available Imagine that. <laughs> and so i just threw them all in a deck and so i didn't make the cranko deck until much later in our play group lifetime so all of us had pretty good decks we knew what we were doing it's been pretty recent still right yeah it's only like a, like a couple a year, years. year and a half yeah, like it's not yeah. too too bad but you've got these i mean at this point they're goblin staples right yeah we've got so, goblin war chief goblin chieftain uh from dominaria we got skirk prospector goblin matron reaper. which is just solid uh goblin recruiter siege gang commander another just very good reprint they print in dominaria uh warren instigator just to name a few yeah and so i at this point, I knew I didn't want to settle for the generic cards from the bulk rares. I wanted the good stuff because I wanted my deck to be good. So like you said, I just got the staples. So I looked at a lot of deck lists and was like, oh yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one because turns out if you play a tribal deck, you don't really need to do a lot of card searching. You just Google goblins <laughs> and then there's the goblin cards and... <laughs> You just play goblin cards. You don't yeah. have to care about any other things and besides so, whatever track to kind are. of like fast track this, a lot of the cards we've named uh, either generate goblins, they buff yeah. your goblins, they do yeah. something to make goblins matter. And I think when I make decks, that's kind of like the the tree that I put them under is just goblins matter. And it's like Goblin War Chief pumps your goblins. Uh, Skirk Prospector allows you to sack goblins to make mana. So it's kind of like a ramp. It's OP. <laughs> uh, goblin Matron lets you search for a goblin, whichever yeah. goblin's the best. Siege War Gang Commander, Gator, yeah. free goblin. Yeah. Uh, Siege Gang Commander just dumps out goblins, allows you to sack them to do damage. All of these things care about goblins. And that's kind of the important thing in a hardcore tribal deck like this, especially where your commander also cares about goblins. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just being super broad, this is goblins. He cares about making goblins and all these other things help just do that incredibly well. Yeah. I do note that you put something on here, which is that you tried to keep it still around the power level of our group which yeah i'll let you talk about i more. instantly made it better than any of the <laughs> other decks 
just because of how consistent and how yeah. fast it's and, and how synergistic. Yeah, it is. just synergistic. Yeah. Like I make synergistic. Like my decks are entirely synergistic, but they don't have like that consistency factor that Granko does. Yeah, instead of like needing one card or two cards that do this thing, any card just, will just do playing it. goblins is what I want. Yeah. So anything that makes goblins is all I need. Yeah, I look at like my enchantress decks, and it's like they're great, and any card that I play is is card drop, but it's like it doesn't have that speed. Like enchantments on their own do very little often yeah so a lot of if you say you're playing mono red a lot of people are like "Ooh, mono red's bad because it doesn't have a lot of answers and so it has a lot of these answers and things that help it it's just you have to spend a lot of the money to get them and so we're talking about cards like wheel of fortune which is red card draw i don't have a hundred dollars a drop on a wheel of fortune god i wish i did i know right and then we have rings of bright hearth for just ability matters i don't have money for that and then of course if you're making a tribal deck, you got to have Cavern, Cavern of Souls, Souls. and yeah. I don't have Cavern of Souls. And it's just a lot of these cards that are just like, if you want to make a good deck, you got to have these cards in it. And so our meta just wasn't there yet, and it still, it still isn't. But honestly, your deck goes to show that that logic is a bit flawed. Like, you know, you do kind of think, like, if you want to have a good deck, if you want this deck to be good, you have to have XYZ. Well, it's like you don't have these classic expensive-ass cards, and your deck still kicks some ass. <laughs> yeah, I think that, it to me, it's like the dual land idea, right? Like, yeah. if you want to have, you know, a top-tier deck, you want to have the best deck you can, you put in fast mana, you put in, and when we say fast mana, we mean, like, moxes and things like that. Granted, it's banned in a lot of formats for yeah. a reason, but, like, you put in these things that accelerate you so much. You put in uh, your fetch lands that name specific card types so that you can get dual lands because dual lands are just insanely powerful. And that alone is going to upgrade your deck to be so much more consistent than it normally is that it's just like, it's kind of like a, a no-duh idea, but it's just the cost behind it is just so relevant that you you can't just do that. It's, it's prohibitive yeah. for a lot of people. Like you can't spend $400 on an original dual land, but... You know, you spend twelve bucks on a shock land, but then you also need the fetch land to go with it. And it's like, I don't want to spend eighty dollars on a fetch land. Like, yeah. I just got uh, some like graduation money and stuff like that, and it was just like, oh, I can go get a fetch land. Oh, one. <laughs> I can actually only get one, or fetch. I could pay rent. <laughs> yeah, and th- that was literally what what my uh, like qualm was. It's just like I could get a card that I've been looking at for a long time, which was Steam Vents paired with Taiga, and I was like, if I get both of those cards. And then I remembered how much Taiga costs, and I was just like, I can get the new Steam Vents, which is cool, which is, you know, it's like uh, a Ravnica Duel, it's just a Shocklands. But I was like, I wanted to get two duels, and I can get the Shocklands, and no duels, or I can get a fetch land and only a fetch land. Yep. And so, you decided not to do any of that crap. Instead, you were just like, I'm going to stand out with the ways I win, and the, the, the way that the deck plays, rather than, hey, look at these shiny cards. Yeah, so instead of, like, making a couple good cards that were worth a ton of money, I just decided to put in just reliable cards. And it's just like, I wouldn't say gamble is reliable, but it's a mono-red tutor for anything. A lot of time you discard whatever you're getting, but it's just a cheap way to get where you need to go. Just add that consistency. It's the best way to do it, red. Really? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) But another thing that I think incidentally affected the meta that we play in a lot is that I put in some <laughs> infinite combos in this deck. Yeah. They came make, out of nowhere, I feel as well. Yeah. Obviously now that we've played it a bunch of times, people know it's like, oh no, no, I can't let that Thornbite staff stay, because that's a combo piece. And so there was just a lot of ways to basically untap Cranko and tap him again and sacrifice goblins to either make infinite mana or infinite goblins. 
with haste or infinite damage, sacrifice him and just ping everybody. But it all just revolved around making unlimited goblins. And then you also have Goblin Bombardment in the deck, which you allow to sacrifice a creature, deal one damage. So you make a ton of goblins, you attack somebody, and if they die, awesome. You blow up all your goblins and you just kill whoever else is left. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, because there's a lot of ways where you might not make infinite goblins that turn, but if I can make 50 goblins with haste, I can kill one person and then maybe use an aggravated assault, get another attack phase, swing at another person, and then sacrifice all of them and shoot the last person. And that's a turn five or six win. Usually when I'm playing Craig, I'll be like, oh, I can kill somebody. Like, I kill that's one person. That's your favorite saying, you yeah. motherfucker. It's like, who should I kill? Yeah, that's the thing. That I think Corey and I do the same thing. It's just like... Corey will untap. Well, I could kill one person. Yeah. We, both, like, we both do what? it, too. It's just no. like, well, I can kill him, but you and I need to work together. Like, as long as you don't, fuck, you know, like, fuck with me, I can kill him just fine. Just like, yeah, all right. I'll let that happen. And then it's just like, don't ever let that happen. If he <laughs> yeah. can kill one person, he probably can kill the next person the next yeah. turn. Yeah, and so I think we kind of talked about this, but this kind of makes this an arch enemy game whenever you sit down. Because once you start to get going... Everybody knows what you're about to do. (laughs) And like we were saying, sometimes you're just like, I think I can kill that person. But it's thanks to cards like Mob Justice. I was going to say, that's another one that we're talking about where you can't do that math. Nobody ever expects Mob Justice to just kill you out of nowhere. For one in red, sorcery, deal one damage target player for each creature you control. Yeah. It's just like... He's got 20 goblins. I got 30 life. We're good this turn. We're good. I've got a board wipe for next turn. You're ready. And then all of a sudden, just like, I Mob Justice and then attack. And just like... Oh fuck! I yeah, died. I died. And that's when you like look to the table, just like eyes wide. It's like, can anybody do anything? Does anybody have any spell? answers? I think Bye. one of my favorite ways to win the game, though, is with Altar of the Brood. Just it's so funny though, milling when it people out because you mill someone out in a mono red goblin nobody ever wants that. Deck. And obviously, I mean, it's a lot that. harder, yeah. but it's so really really fun. I feel like if we can try and make this as concise as possible, the deck is fast. It's consistent. It's red aggro, which you're not supposed to be able to do. Yeah. And yeah. the curve is just low, and it really just gets out of control really fast. It's really easy to just... If you let Cranko just live for, like, two turns, you're probably in some trouble. Yeah. Yeah, I think that our playgroup has realized that, that Cranko's out. You either hold your counter spell, yeah, or... You just have to kill Cranko when you go to equip it with like well, lightning creeps or something. Yeah, when we talk about a meta warping deck like this, we used to say that five to six targeted removal spells were kind of in that consistent zone. I think a lot of the decks are bumping it now. I yeah. think it's closer to eight, nine, ten, because you need to be able to kill Cranko once and twice, and then a zombie comes up. You have to be able to get rid of that <laughs> yeah, motherfucker. I, you have to be able to deal with specific threats, not like with a board wipe, you kind of like to time things for maximum impact. Targeted removal, you have to handle it right now yeah. or you lose yeah. the game. I think that for just like in general purposes, three to five specific like targeted removal spells, including like enchantment and artifact removal, which you really do need to have, is is fine. Like that is the the neutral realm. Like that's that's where you're probably pretty happy with. But if all of a sudden your decks start to amplify in your play group, yep. and you need to answer commander threats that are coming out turn three, turn four, and they really are impacting the board the way that they are in our play group anyways, is that you've got to have those answers. So you have to start ramping up that removal. But it's it's meta dependent. I don't yes. think that every play group is going to have that. And I think that ours, for the most part, is pretty balanced in that we know when we're going to play our competitive decks, right? And we we have that kind of agreement that every night we're going to try and play the most competitive decks that we have and we're going to try and ramp it up. And it's just like, okay, for one game, we're playing our top decks. So 
can you give us a breakdown? What are the stats of this deck? I'm talking so, about like card draw, ramp, removal, board wipes, um, whatever else that makes the deck what it is. Yeah, so I put this deck into deck stats, and I think we're going to have the list for this episode, so you can look at it too. And I tried to categorize it as well as I could. Some things ca- apply to multiple categories, so I just left them where they were, basically. And a lot of the goblins did a lot of these effects, and so I didn't put them into the goblin category. I put them into their category. And what I'm saying is that I have 11 sources of card draw. And some of those are goblins. Which is huge for red. Yeah, and everybody says, oh, mono red has no card draw. You just gotta you gotta work with what you got. <laughs> to be fair, red has gotten a lot they, of decent yeah, removal recently. It's gotten a lot better. And then another thing that red struggles with is ramp. But they got artifacts. There's a lot of artifacts, and then luckily a lot of goblins make more goblins cheaper or cheat stuff out, which kind of counts as ramp. Yeah, so it's pseudo ramp, and so I put them just under that category. And then there's that, and that's instant. ten. Yeah, you got about ten. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's got ten sorry. of those. And I think my favorite one is the one in a red. You get one red for each man or each goblin you control. Yeah, that, that one card is so sick. I mean, it's so easy. If you have just twenty goblins, you're cruising. Also, it's like one of the the cheaper ramp spells as far as like just like raw just colored mana yeah it's not really good unless you're playing a super heavy token yeah if you're if you're only playing goblins it's fantastic if you're playing anything else it's utter rubbish yeah there have been times when i play that and just make three red mana just so i can cast cranko again and give him haste or something uh what about your removal because we kind of talked and especially you know gary you brought up that in these more competitive decks, we need to have that removal for the other like competitive companions. Yeah, so I have seven removal effects. And I use effects because a lot of these are stuff that pings, so I can sacrifice goblins to ping stuff, which is a repeated form of removal, which are I think are a lot more powerful than just a removal spell like Chaos Warp. People like, don't usually think of it that way, but they should. Yeah, because if I can just goblin bombardment your whole board and everybody else's board every, every turn, turn <laughs> yeah. then that's removal spells all the game yeah uh which kind of brings us to board wipes yeah and so i i leaned lighter on the board wipe side because obviously i don't want to board wipe all my hundred right. goblins yeah. <laughs> and also i feel like when your format becomes faster and your your decks become faster board wipes matter less yeah and so i think the best board wipe in this deck easily is blasters act because there's always going to be a ton of creatures on the battlefield yeah so it costs one less for each creature on the battlefield it's what eight in it's, red or seven red eight in red it's nine and it does 13 damage to each creature which basically is going to kill everything fun fact on deck stats blasphemous act can really mess up your curve oh yeah it's so funny (laughs) because it's a nine drop i was like what nine drop do i have in this (laughs) because this deck is so focused on combat you need haste enablers yeah and so a lot of the like we were saying the goblins ramp other goblins a lot of the other goblins give haste to other goblins and so i have six Sources of haste. Do you have anger in the deck? I do. Yeah, that's my favorite one. I love anger. All right, so to try and wrap up this episode as fast as I can here, give me your top three standouts of the deck. So just like Battle Him, one of my favorite cards is Brightstone Ritual, which is just a single red for an instant. And it's add red to your mana pool for each goblin in play. Yeah, so Battle Him just adds for each creature control. Brightstone Ritual is for goblins, which they're both great in your deck. Yeah, and it just, I think it accelerates the curve a lot because it's one mana, and you're almost always going to get at least three or four mana off of it. Yeah, the, it's extremely think... cheap ramp, and it's scalable because yeah. early, it's, it's pretty good. It's decent. Mid game, pretty good. 
late game it's can be incredible. Yeah, yeah. this I think I've played this. I usually play it late or early game just to try and get a turn two or turn three cranko. Well, yeah, because like we said with exponential growth, one turn extra earlier is massive. Yeah, yeah. So and it's crazy how much it matters the difference between Brightstone Ritual, which is just one and or just red. Versus Battleham, which is one and a red. Like yeah. that matters it's so much. It's a whole much. turn potentially. Yeah. And so another banger in the deck is Dark Dweller Oracle, which is one of the newer cards. It's from M19. It's one and red. It's a two-two Goblin Shaman. You pay one and sacrifice a creature. Exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. So this is pseudo red card draw. Yeah, it's impulsive draws, what we've been calling it. I think that's almost the accepted term at this point yeah, in the I community. Think so. uh, but. It's pretty solid in the deck. Yeah, and so if you just use it in conjunction with Brightstone Ritual, if you have, say, you have ten goblins out, you make ten red mana. You can pay one, sacrifice one of your ten goblins, and then potentially draw up to ten cards. And if you don't need any of them, then just keep sacrificing down to what you actually need, and then just keep going. And what would you say your maybe not best card, but like the card that everyone knows is in this deck? Favorite card in the deck, Jockalops. <laughs> Did you get one of these from our collection? Yeah, Sean gave me his. Yeah, I was going to say. Because we had a few of them, actually. In, oh, yeah. They're, in these old 80s, They're 90s, gross 90s and bad. I would not suggest playing them. I've made people scoop and hate me at shops because <laughs> I've played them. Because people hate, hate, hate land destruction. It's a very quick overview of what this oh, deck is. Yeah, it went from a really bad Norin Chaos deck, which I really want to remake in some fashion, to one of my best decks. Just crank on my boss. He's just... It's consistent and dangerous. Always wrecking ass. So as we come to the end of this episode here, we, of course, want to remind you guys that if you're drinking along with us, which, you know, we encourage you to do, be safe, be responsible. We don't want you drinking if you're underage. You know, don't obviously drink and drive. None of that garbage. Yeah. Be safe. Be responsible. Um, and, of course, it wouldn't be podcast we wouldn't be on youtube if we didn't say subscribe like and i, I what else i don't know I'll share like subscribe and share yeah, yeah. uh we're it on really twitter does help though yeah it, it does so we're on twitter we're on facebook at uud podcast uh instagram youtube untap upkeep drink if you search untap upkeep we're probably gonna pop up yeah um which is awesome and if you're on instagram uh i know that's weird being the guy to plug this uh but check out drew's brews we've had a lot of good beers on that um, Gary did one for us, which was awesome. I'm trying to convince Corey just to write a full review on his own. The it's problem hard. is that when he and I drink, it's like, hey, do this. And then I, I just take it over. Stopping and yeah. doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's weird uh, to plug it myself. But I feel like we've, we've got a lot of, of good beers on there that you should check out. Yeah. Drew's Brews is basically all the beers that we drink off of the show, just all the goodies. Yeah. So definitely check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. Tell us what you're drinking. Tell us what your weird janky decks yeah, are. Yeah, let us know what we need to have on the show. Like, if it's your favorite beard, let us know. Yeah, and let us know what you guys think of Imperial Stouts and just Go dark beers. Do you guys little. like dark beers? Yeah. I mean, yes, can I answer, <laughs> can I answer that? Everyone, <laughs> everyone likes dark beers. Uh, but this is only the second of five episodes that we have planned for this week. We got a lot coming up. The Brewfest. Next up, we're talking about net decking. And after that, Garion's going to have a featurette. And then the last thing we're doing this week is the homebrew that we made with my brother, Travis. So look forward to all of that. I hope you guys enjoyed all the reviews of these extremely dark beers. Black. And as always, 40 plus. 40 plus, baby. <laughs> Blacker than the night. And as always, guys, have fun, but not too much. Yeah.